first thing I want to do is make some clarifications and offer an apology quickly up to Cheryl. Didn't mean to put her on the spot there, but so every time I come here and uh, and preach, Cheryl sends me an email about a week before and says, hey, looking forward to having you come. Can you let me know what you're going to be preaching on and what the passage is? And I'll go ahead and put it in the bulletin. And so the last time we came, I said, this is what I'm preaching on, and this is the passage that I want to use. And she proofread it, and she said, are you sure this is the passage that you want to use? Because <laughs> it doesn't look like, like your message. And she was absolutely right, because it just, I, she looked at it, it was one of her favorite verses, I think, and it like made no sense whatsoever. She's like, I think maybe you want this one instead. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> it, and it's funny because it reminds me of a story. So uh, at, at weddings, lots of times they have people who will give the scripture reading, and they may or may not be familiar with the Bible or, or, or anything at all. And there's the Gospel of John, and there's the book of like First John. The book of First John is, you know, love and love and love and this and love and love and love. And then the, the, the Gospel of John has lots of different stories. And so they asked someone who wasn't familiar with the Bible, they said, hey, can you read First John chapter this, verse this? So they pulled out the, the Gospel of John, same passage, same everything, knowing that, didn't know it at all, it was different. And they walked up there, and the passage that they chose to read was the one where the, where the woman was talking to Jesus, and she starts reading, and she says, and no, you're not married now. In fact, you've had five husbands, and you're living with the guy that you're not married with anyway. <laughs> and that was at the wedding, believe it or not. <laughs> it was like that. So the pastor handled it really, really well. Um, and uh, he's just like, so this is, you know, this. And he just like worked it in the message. Like it was supposed to have been there to not cause her embarrassment. But anyway, so last time Cheryl uh, prevented me from that. And this time I said, okay, this is what I want to preach on. And yesterday I was going through when I was doing it. I'm like, you know what? I just have this sense that God wants us to go into a different direction. And I just didn't feel comfortable with what I was. Not that it wasn't a good message, but I'm like, I just feel like God is doing this. And so I put Cheryl on the spot when she said up here, it's like, well, that's not what's in the bulletin. <laughs> it's like, so that's exactly what should have been in the bulletin. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that out. So what I did feel like God wanted me to talk about was suffering and the comfort of God. So we want to look at what suffering is and the comfort that God has us. So um, we're going to use uh, several different scriptures. Actually, the main scripture, which is in a handout, and then I put a, um, an outline in there, too, and a place to take notes if you wanted to um, follow on. But in order to do this, to start out, I just want us to picture um, just being in, like, a waiting room of some type. doesn't matter what kind of a waiting room, but you're in a waiting room. And just picture this. There's a man that walks into the waiting room. And he just looks tired. And you can see it in his eyes. There's a weariness that seems to go to the bone. How long has he been suffering? If you asked him, he'd probably say, I don't remember. It's been as long as I can remember. And so you're sitting there for a while, and you see this girl walk in. She walks in real hesitantly. She looks nervous. She looks afraid. And she kind of looks down most of the time. If anyone looks at her, she quickly looks away. She's never been good in social situations at all. Crowds always make her nervous. She just wants to go home, to be home, and to be alone. A young man hobbles in on crutches. The accident has taken a toll on him. His child is still in the ICU. And worry is written all over his face. What will the next few days bring? What will the next few hours bring? 
you see another woman walk in. This woman is a brand new Christian, and she's been telling everybody that she knows all about Jesus. And everybody that she knows has rebuffed her. And now her family has begun to act differently, and now they treat her differently. And the people at her work that used to be friends now try to avoid her. All of these people, in one way or another, are going through suffering, and they're experiencing suffering as they live their life. And see, suffering comes up in many different ways, and it comes in at different times, and it comes in for different lengths as well. Some suffering is physical, some is emotional, some is relational, some suffering is spiritual. And today we want to look at suffering, and we want to look at the comfort of God. And so we're going to look at this 2 Corinthians passage, and we're going to kind of open it up there. But we want to see what the comfort is, and um, the comfort from God that we get during this time of um, suffering. And I want you to know this as we walk through this, that suffering and God's comfort are meant to go together. They are meant to be walked hand in hand with each other. Because we are never meant to suffer alone. We suffer with the God of all comfort. We suffer along with Christ. We suffer along with each other. And we suffer along with the family of God. So I want to read this passage once more to us. I know we've heard it once, and I want us to listen to it again. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, for that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He received us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. I just want to take a moment before we go on and just pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we come before the God of comfort, Lord, the God of all mercies. And Lord, we just pray that you'll be with us this morning. I know that many of us struggle, that many of us suffer, that many of us desire your comfort. So be with us this morning. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll speak into our hearts, Lord, that we might know this and understand this and experience your comfort. You know, there was one other thing I was going to say on the way of bookkeeping when we, when we started was, I'm usually really good about... Um, uh, what, I, what I've uh, preached in different places, and I always keep track of it and stuff like that because I preach different places. And when I was getting ready, after I kind of thought, well, I want to go a different direction, then like on the way down, I'm like, have I preached this sermon over here before? <laughs> I'm like, I hope not. But the other thing is that I know that my wife and I have had conversations before about different topics and different sermons, and it's like, you know what? We could stand to hear that sermon like once a year, even if it was the exact same one. So I don't think I've preached this before. I do think I've preached on suffering before. Um, but if not, this is something that we, I, I think that we all need to hear, you know, once a year. So, but um, anyway, so 
So we looked at this, right, and we're looking at Paul's suffering. This is what's in the middle of that passage, and it's kind of where we are. And um, we can see from, from this passage and other passages, we can kind of paint a picture of some of the suffering that Paul has gone through. And we can see that Paul has suffered physically. He suffered, you know, at the hands of other, of other people. And he suffered just by these feelings of being overwhelmed and all of the burdens that he carried at different times. You can see that just the, just the weight of the burdens alone was that. And at this point in this passage, Paul says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. How does that sound to you? Does that sound like a Christian response to suffering? Does it sound spiritual at all? Would you expect a little bit more from the Apostle Paul? The fact is, is this is what reality is, and this is what suffering feels like. And the, the fact is, when we suffer, we hurt, and we feel that. Whether our suffering is physical or financial or emotional or relational or spiritual, all suffering hurts. And we, we deal with that hurt or we deal with that suffering in different ways. A couple of different ways that we can do it. And once as we go through this, kind of examining yourself and try to think, what is it that I do in suffering? And what are the ways that I kind of work this through? Um, many times, our attitude towards suffering goes outward. It goes towards other people. And it ends up, say, it ends up coming out in anger. And so we get angry, or we complain, we become bitter, we blame other people for what's going on. And you know, it's funny because sometimes we can find our comfort in this anger. We can sometimes find comfort in anger or complaining or whatever it is. In the Old Testament, they got the story of um, uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau ends up acting, acting foolishly, and Jacob tricks Esau out of his inheritance. So Esau is angry, and he is mad, and he hates his brother Jacob because of what he's done. And he plans on killing his brother because of what happened. But his father dies, and there's a spirit of mourning, and he has to wait, in, or he decides he's going to wait until after this. But he says to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The mother finds out about this, and she goes to, and she goes to Jacob, and she warns him. And listen to the words that she uses when she, she warns her son. Your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. He comforts himself in his anger and in his bitterness. And do you do that? Do you kind of like comfort yourself and, and roll through that in your mind, what you would say, what you would do, how you would behave, how you could, you know, do any of that stuff. There's, there's that comfort there in that anger, because it's one of the emotions and it's one of these things that we do. But sometimes it's the opposite of this anger, outright bitterness and things, and sometimes it becomes inward focus. So there's an outward focus or it can manifest itself inwardly, right? We can become overwhelmed. We can become depressed. We can have this woe is me outlook. In suffering, oftentimes, is this working or is this not working? Okay, I'm good to go. All right. <laughs> Sometimes it sounds like there's more uncertainty. I'm like, am I doing that or not? But anyway, so we looked at the outward focus, right? And now we're going back and we're looking at the inward focus. And so sometimes that can become inward and it becomes depressed. It becomes this woe is me attitude with all these things of suffering. And it all becomes this internal thing. 
And so it makes us incited. All we see is that. All we see is ourselves. All we talk about is this. And the whole world ends up revolving around our suffering. And it becomes like this pair of glasses that we put on, and all we see is our suffering, and we see nothing else. Elijah, one of the Old Testament prophets, ended up falling into this. He's one of the, uh, he's on the run. King Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill him. He is just trying to get away. He flees out into the wilderness, and he ends up crying out to God. He says, they have killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah says, I'm the only one. I am the only one. And God says, no, you are not the only one. I have left 7,000 people in Israel whose knees have not bound to Baal. Our suffering makes us only look at ourselves. And God says, you are not the only one. There are 7,000 people around you right now who are suffering. But we can end up um, comforting ourselves through our own self-pity or trying to get sympathy from others. And so, so I want to phrase that, right, because we are to go to other ones, and it is right, and we are to comfort each other. And that's one of the things that this passage teaches us that we're going to touch on later on. But I'm sure we all know someone who's kind of taken that to the extreme, whose entire world revolves around themselves, and they are only and always looking inward to pity themselves and how hard their life is. And they never look outward towards other people to help other people, to reach out or to try to comfort other people. So that's the outward focus and the inward focus. But what about Paul? What kind of a focus did he have? And what can we see from today's scripture? In verse 3, it says this. Paul says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. That's where Paul begins. See, Paul doesn't look um, inward towards self-pity. He doesn't look outward towards anger, but he looks upward towards God. He says, blessed be God. He praises God. He looks upward because he knows it is God who is going to give him his comfort. The comfort isn't going to be in anger and revenge and bitterness. The comfort isn't going to be inward in self-pity. The comfort is going to come from God, who calls himself the God, uh, or the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And this is in your, in your bulletin here. Three chapters later, in um, Acts chapter 4, it says this. Listen to this. And how he has this upward focus. He sees reality, but listen to his upward focus. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. Stop and think about the affliction that Paul had, right? All over and over. And he looks at this, and he's looking towards God. He has this upward focus, and he reevaluates what's going on. And he says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. As we look not to the things that are unseen, but to the things, or I'm sorry, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. Paul looks up to God. Why? It's not because he doesn't feel the pain, and he doesn't feel the suffering, right? Because he just got done saying, we were so utterly burdened beyond our, our strength, we despaired of life itself, right? And here he says, we're afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. 
Those aren't the words of, suffering, of someone who's not suffering. Those are the words of someone who feels the pain um, intensely, but he knows the comfort of God. And he says that God will comfort us in all of these afflictions that we have. So when you are utterly burdened beyond your strength, when you despair of life itself, when you're afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, what is your attitude like? Is it outward in anger? Is it inward in self-pity? Or is it upward towards God? So if God is the God of comfort, we realize that we can try to substitute comfort or we can get it from somewhere else, right? Because it's our natural tendency. So what are some of the places that we get comfort from if we don't get it from God? And there's many different ways. Um, we can look at escapism, right? We can look to TV or to video games or to sleep. We can look towards alcohol or drugs. And there's other places that we could look to for escape, right? We can just, you know, dive into work, you know, headlong or dive into some kind of a, a sport or, or recreation or any kind of these things. And the thing is that there's so many things that are good, but we can take them to the extreme. There's so many things that are good and designed for our enjoyment, but we can take them for our comfort and we can substitute these things for God. Even relationships are, um, you know, are very, very good. And Paul tells us to comfort ourselves. And Paul or tells us to comfort each other, I'm sorry, to comfort each other and to go these things. But again, we can see that can be taken to extreme. But these things in the whole aren't bad, but just how we use them, right? Because think about a dark and a stormy night when you're all alone, a dog can be very, very comforted. It doesn't have to be a big dog, right? A toy poodle will be good enough if it's, you're just, you know what I mean? It's just that dark overnight, you're strong. So it's nice to have a dog or even a cat or whatever next to you. And these aren't bad things, right? But our comfort itself comes from God. There's a country singer named Miranda Lambert, and she sings a song that's called The House That Built Me. And it's a story of someone who feels lost in the world. And she goes back to her childhood um, home. The house has been sold to somebody else. But she just wants to take a look around and just to see it one more time. Listen to these words. He says, ma'am, or she, she says, ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam, but these handprints on the front steps are mine. Up those stairs in the little back bedroom is where I did my homework and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know under that live oak, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. You leave home, you move on, you do the best you can. I got lost in this old world and forgot who I am. And I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside of me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. And I thought maybe I could find myself. If I could walk around, I swear I'll leave. I won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. The girl in this story feels lost and she feels broken. And she's reaching out for comfort. If she can just go back and touch that old house, to see the room, to put her grown-up hands where her child um, handprints were in that steps, to stand beneath that oak tree once more, to feel the bark, to hear the breeze just ruffling through the leaves, if she can just feel it once more. She wants comfort. Life is hard. She struggled. She suffered. And she thinks if she can just touch it once more, things will be all right. And see, 
It is true that we can get comfort from those places. We cannot deny it. I go back to my childhood home in Minnesota every year. Where my parents still live in the same house. I go to my childhood bedroom, and I walk around, and there's this tree. Sometimes I climb up a, I only get to like the first branch now, but the, <laughs> but the tree, it's got one of these trees that go out like that. It's got a big like branch that goes like that. I'm like, okay, I'll go on that one, but I'm not going up. <laughs> but I go there, right? And you just feel this, and there's that comfort, and it's just good to be there. It is just good to be there and to feel that comfort. But you know what? It doesn't last. It's not deep enough. It's not strong enough. And God gives us so much more than just this fleeting comfort that we have while we're there. He gives us this true, solid comfort. He gives us reasons that we go through our suffering. He gives us hope. He gives us faith. He gives us life. And he gives us a way that we can help others as they go through their suffering as well. This passage lets us know that there are reasons why we go through suffering. And there are things that we can learn as we go through our suffering. Verse 9 tells us this. Or it tells us that one of the reasons that suffering comes into our lives is so that we learn, that we learn to rely on God and not ourselves. We have to learn that, right? Because we naturally rely on ourselves. Paul said, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Did you catch that? We felt like we received the sentence of death. Where does he go for comfort? On the God who raises the dead. That's where he goes for comfort, right? Our tendency is to rely on ourselves, to rely on our abilities. But during suffering, we lose that, right? And sometimes we become so utterly burdened beyond our strength. It's like we're up in this ladder, this tall ladder, and the ladder like tips over, and it just is suddenly gone. And in slow motion, we're like grasping for like anything. We just want to grab something to stop our fall. But there's nothing there. We are in the air falling down. And here Paul says, rely on God who raises the dead. And God himself, the God, God the Father of mercy, the God of comfort, he is the one that will comfort you. So we learn not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God during these times of suffering. And during this time, we really understand what comfort is. Or let, let me put it this way. To understand what comfort is, to really, really appreciate it, we want to put it against this background of suffering. Because that's when we appreciate it most, because that's when we need it the most. Right? And see, suffering and comfort are joined together in verse 7. It says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So think about this whole idea that we see comfort the most clear during times of suffering. Um, when do you feel the most comfortable with that toy poodle with you, right? When it's when you're rushing around in the middle of the day and the dog's always underfoot and you keep tripping on the thing? Or is it when you're home alone? at night, and the power goes out. When do you feel comfort the most? When do you wish you had God's comfort the most? When things are going great, or when things are going bad? See, God is always there, but we don't always see it. We don't always notice it. We don't always look to him. And during these times, God is, I think C.S. Lewis said it this way, suffering, I believe, so someone correct me if I'm wrong, I just thought about this now, but I think he put it as Suffering is God shining his spotlight on himself. Something like that. You can look it up, look up C.S. Lewis and spotlight. But it's something to the fact that 
you know, it's like when we suffer, it's like God, it, there's this illuminating God that we, um, or there's illumination on God that we, that we see. Suffering also teaches us to put our hope in God, that he's the one that will deliver us. Paul says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul looks back, and he sees where God was, and he sees that God has delivered him in the past. And he says, God has done this in the past. This is who God is. God will deliver us again in the future. And he puts his hope in there. Or not even the future, but right now God will deliver us. And he remembers what God has done. And when we remember what God has done, we get this hope that God will do this again. And then our faith is built up. Our hope is built up. Our endurance is built up. Our love for God is, is built up during these times. What else can we learn is that we're not the only ones that God has in mind when we suffer. We are not the only ones that God has in mind when we suffer. Listen to verse 4, because Paul says that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that, so that, right, we get God's comfort during our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Suffering is universal. Pain is pain. Fear is fear. Once more, the circumstances may be different. The types may be indifferent. The intensity may be different. The length of the suffering may be different. But there is this commonness to suffering that is alike no matter what, what you're suffering through. Think about it like this. You're at a gym. A bodybuilder comes in, and he is a big, big guy. And he goes up to the bench press, and he lifts up 350 pounds, and he does rep after rep after rep to the point of failure. And he's got a buddy standing over him, spotting him. And by the time he gets to the last, to the last rep, the buddy's like taking two hands and doing everything he can to like help him get that weight up. And the bodybuilder is exhausted. His muscles are twitching. He is dead tired. He can barely lift the towel to wipe off his forehead. And they look up and they see another guy walk in the gym. He's a skinny guy. He's pale. He's got glasses that are as thick as a book, and he walks in. And behind him trails in his equally skinny little buddy as well. And so they walk over to the bench press. And he's like, yeah, let's try 100. And the guy's like, I can't lift 100. So they drop it down to 65 pounds, and he's able to bench press 65 pounds. And he does rep after rep after rep. He does it to the point of failure. His buddy is over there spotting him. When he comes to the last one, his buddy's got two arms on him, helping him lift it up. He's exhausted. His muscles are twitching. He is dead tired. By the time he's done, he can barely take the towel and wipe the sweat off of his forehead. Who worked harder? Who gave more? Who suffered more? They both did. It was equal. And suffering helps us have more compassion with other people. The bodybuilder may have laughed when the skinny guy came in, but you know what? When he watched him work and he saw him do the exact same thing that he did, he has much more compassion on him. He has much more respect for him. And God is telling you, he comforts you so that you can comfort other people. Even if you haven't gone through what they have gone through, we have all suffered. And so we can relate on some level to what they're doing. 
We can't ever, ever, ever tell someone, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there before, I've done that, I know exactly what you're going for. No, you don't know exactly what they're going for. You have not been there. Everyone's situation is unique. Everyone's suffering is unique. Everyone is unique. But there are those common things that go, that go through there, right? Because you can relate to pain. You can relate to fear. You can relate to feeling overwhelmed. You can relate to just wanting to give up, to just escape, to just go to sleep, to just, to just get rid of it all. And you can also relate to lashing out, in, lashing out in frustration. You can relate to that anger. You can relate to comforting yourself in your anger as well. And so God says, comfort them with the comfort with which I have given you. That's the same comfort that you go to them with. That's the same comfort that you give them. And you don't need to say the right thing. You don't need to do all the right things. In fact, sometimes it's better not to say anything, to be honest with you, but just to be with people. Think about that toy poodle again. During the dark night, the middle of the storm, the power goes out. What does it do? It just sits and snuggles. And you know what? That's enough. That's enough. Be there for people when they need you. There will be a time to talk and there will be a time to just be with the people and just discern it and just be with the people. But God has called you to comfort people with the same comfort that he has comforted you. So we've already seen that suffering can make you draw inward, right? And to kind of keep on this, God wants you to draw, God wants you to draw near to other people when you go through suffering. He wants you to experience that fellowship together. If you take the time to look through that passage, 16 times in that short passage that we read, those nine verses, 16 times he says we. 12 times he says our. Nine times he says you. Not even once does he say I. He says we are afflicted. We are comforted. You share in our sufferings. You share in our comforting. See, the enemy, what the enemy wants is for you to do this alone. He wants you to hide your pain. He wants you to be embarrassed because you're going through a difficult time. He wants you to feel like you're an unspiritual person. But God doesn't. God wants you to share what you're going through so that you may be comforted by other people. And if you don't say anything, no one's going to know what it is that you're going through. Paul says this, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. Does that sound like he's trying to hide it? Does it sound like someone who's embarrassed, so he buries it, and tries to look like a good Christian? Does it sound like someone who wants to look like they've got it all together? No, that is someone who understands the fellowship of suffering. And they understand the fellowship of comfort. So there's a lot of outcomes in um, this passage. And I just want to just briefly touch them. I might go through them all. But verse 3 says that suffering and God's comfort leads us to praise God more. Verse 11 says it leads us to thank God more. Verse 10 says it leads us to hope in God more as our hope grows. Verse 7, it says that it leads us to fellowship and our fellowship grows. Verse 5, that we share in Christ. You can go through that passage and just look at all of the things that becomes outcomes because of this, right? All of these things happen. And so I want to ask you a question. 
if suffering causes our faith to grow, it causes our hope in God to grow, it causes our fellowship with others to grow, it causes our worship to grow, is it automatic that that happens? Or will these things always happen? And the answer is no, not always. So the question is why? Why wouldn't it always happen this way? Let's start out in verse 6. One reason, we don't wait patiently. Verse 6 says this, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when, when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Oftentimes, we do not patiently endure, right? We want things fixed now. We want to be pain-free now. We want to be free of fear now. We want to be free of burdens now. And at those times, what's the most likely thing for us to do? Is to go to anywhere we can find comfort, right? It's at those times we lash out because we don't have the thing. Just all this emotion is built up in there. Or we get at those times we become angry with God because of the way things have turned out. Another reason is that we rely on ourselves and not God, right? I don't know why it's so hard to rely on God and not on ourselves. <laughs> I don't have the answer to that at all. But isn't it the truth? The first thing we do is we rely on ourselves and how can I fix this and how can I do this and what can I do and what should have I done and what can I do better and, and what I can do. But that's another reason why we face these obstacles, these barriers that come in. Um, another reason is that we rely on other things or other people, which is different than relying on ourselves. In the Old Testament, God gives the law for the kings. He says, look, he says, you cannot go and get bunches and bunches of horses for yourself. You cannot have the people return to Egypt in order to get the horses. Because think of war, right? The horses were like the tank, right? If you had horses, you had like tanks. And so it was a thing of battle. And he's saying, look, when this battle comes, do that. And in Isaiah, uh, but what happens is they go down to Egypt and they go and get the horses. And Isaiah 31 says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are a man and not God, and their horses are flesh and they are not spirit. Do you see the, do you see the difference there and why that would prevent us from doing that? They say, look, they, they don't look to the Holy One of Israel. They don't consult the Lord. So we aren't going to get closer to God. We're not going to rely on God if we don't rely on God, right? Our reliance, does that make sense, right? We're not going to rely more on God if we don't rely on him in the first place, right? So these things, is it's easy to go and rely on other things or other, other people. There's another more um, subtle reason why we don't always experience the um, comfort of God. That's because our main goal as people during times of suffering is to eliminate suffering. We are not satisfied until the suffering is gone. But you know what? We can never really get rid of all suffering because it seems like when one suffering thing is gone and we've been able to, you know, over, overdo it or whatever, it's replaced by another piece of suffering. Yeah, we're done with this, but now we have this. And it just seems like that. And we can look at Jesus, and he had suffering one thing after another, after another, after another. And we can follow it his entire life that he went through suffering. There is some suffering that is unique 
there is some suffering that's different than the rest, and that's long-term suffering because it lasts and it lasts, and it doesn't go away. At least with the normal day-to-day suffering, we say, okay, this is going to go away, right? This too shall pass, and we're going to get a reprieve, and we're going to get a time of peace, at least until the next wave hits. But with this long-term suffering, there is no reprieve. There might be times when the suffering isn't as much because it seems like it's always there. The Apostle Paul had that. The guy who we're talking about had that long-term thing. The Apostle Paul suffered physically, and it did not leave. Many believe it was a result of his injury. So if you remember back in the book of Acts, they go into one of the cities. Well, and I was going to say the people don't want to hear him, but every city they went in, nobody wanted to hear him. But one of the cities goes in, and the people just don't want to hear it. And so they take these rocks, and they just start stoning him. And they beat him with so many rocks that they think he's dead. And they just, like, leave him for dead. So many people believe that because of that, he had permanent eye eye problems after that that never, ever left and were with him his entire life. That part is speculation. They take this and they think, well, maybe this is what happened. But the point is, we do know that he had some type of suffering that went on his whole life because he asked God to relieve it. So the Apostle Paul had been given the gift of healing, so he could go in. Like, he could come into here and he could heal every single person in this room. Obviously, not him, but God, God's spirit through him would heal. And Paul asked God, will you heal me? And God says no. And Paul asks again, and God says no. And Paul asks a third time, and God said no. Three times a guy who could, you know, in quotes, heal other people, or God healed other people through him, and God says no again and again. God says, I will not remove the suffering. But you know what he says? I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my comfort. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in in weakness. You see, God's suffering and God's comfort go together. Paul says, I want, and as you read through that passage, he says that he wants God's grace. He said he wants Christ's power in me. Then he says, I will boast all the more because of my weakness and because of my suffering. Because God's grace is sufficient. God's power is made perfect in that. And so he says, I will share in Christ's suffering. I will share in Christ's comfort. And I will be content in weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. He says, I will learn to be content. I will be content in these things. I will suffer and I will feel God's comfort and God's grace. If you get nothing more out of this message this morning, get that piece. Suffering and God's comfort go together. Suffering and God's comfort go together. Because you see, suffering and his comfort are part of the plan. Um, We don't have this uh, in here, but if you want to write, jot down Romans chapter 5, I think it's verses 3 through 5. But there's this whole thing about, you know, oh no, wait, I take it back. Never mind. (laughs) We have this. This is a different, I'm thinking of different, something different. Well, write this down anyway. Write down Romans 5, 3 to 5, because it walks through some of the benefits that suffering has. But I'm talking about in our passage this morning, verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we shall bear abundantly in comfort too, right? God's plan from the start is for suffering to drive us back towards God, to bring us back home where the comfort is. And so we experience his comfort, so we know God more, so we know the power of the one who can raise us from the dead. So, I'm about out of time now, and there's so much that we could talk about in this passage. 
But I want to touch briefly on just one single sentence. And this single sentence could be an entire message on its own. And Paul says, you also must help us by prayer. You also must help us by prayer. That's verse number 11. He says, you, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, you must, you must help us in prayer. We cannot overcome without the prayers of each other. We cannot overcome. We cannot endure patiently. So we cannot overcome. We cannot endure patiently without the prayers of others. We cannot stand against the attacks of the enemy without prayers from each other. What do you think Paul is asking them to pray for? He doesn't say, he just says, you must help us. But we can assume, based on this passage, that he's asking them that the God of all comfort will comfort them. We can assume he's asking that they will patiently endure the suffering, that their hope will not be shaken that they would rely not on themselves, but that on God. That God would deliver them, that God would bless them, and that they would give thanks to God. I also think, and it's not directly in this passage, but I think he wants to pray against the enemy. Satan wanders around like a lion seeking to destroy. He goes after anybody who is alone or isolated, because you think of how a lion works, right? Alone or isolated or weak or young or somehow or another like that. And all of those categories fit someone who's suffering. So if you're suffering, you are an easy target for the enemy. And you can pretty much bet that the enemy is attacking at that point that you're going through suffering. That is going to be there. Um, First John 3, 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The last line of the Lord's prayer is, deliver me from evil. Right? I read someone once, I don't remember who it was, but he said, I don't consider prayer complete unless I have prayed against the enemy and his works. So when it comes to suffering and you are praying for someone, remember, if they're suffering, you can pretty much guarantee that there's some type of a spiritual attack that is going on. The spiritual attack probably isn't, I mean, so I don't want to say probably, I have no idea if the spiritual attack is what causes the suffering or not. We can probably say no because God's design is this way. But we can say is if they're suffering, it was like a 99 or 100 percent. I don't know how you mathematically figure this out, but you can assume that, that the enemy is attacking, right? The enemy is attacking always. But if you're suffering, you're going to be vulnerable because you're in that place. And the people around you, the people that you know, the friends, the people in this church, when they're suffering, they're in this vulnerable place. And the enemy is going to be attacking. You know, it's no coincidence that when we read through Jesus and we read about his works on there, how many times do you really read that he relieves people's suffering and he casts out demons? And they're side by side. And they'll be in the same passage, right? So remember, when you're praying for each other, pray for that spiritual dimension. And also just think through Paul's words. You must help us by prayer. Prayer is one of the biggest things that there is in getting us through the suffering and getting each other through the suffering. So make that a part of who you are as a church and as a person, that you're aware of suffering and that you're praying for people. So I just want to close with this. 
Suffering and, and God's comfort go together. They are meant to walk hand in hand. You are never meant to suffer alone. You suffer with the God of all comfort. You suffer with Christ. You suffer along with each other. You suffer along with the family of God. And is God the Father of all comfort. And he's the one who comforts you and who comforts us. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we know that to live in this world, Lord, is to experience suffering. For you lived in this world, and you suffered. And all those who have gone before have suffered. And we can read throughout Scripture of cases where people have suffered, Lord, and how people have been comforted by you. And Lord, even as the Apostle Paul says that he felt the the sentence of death. But you, Lord, raised the dead. And so you comfort us, Lord, even in those times where it would be figuratively, Lord, that we feel this um, sentence of death, Lord. We know in reality you raised the dead, Lord, and it is you who comfort us, Lord, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And so we just thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to look and see do we go outward during times of suffering? Do we go inward during times of suffering? And Lord, I pray that you will help us to recognize that and then to go upward to you, Lord. And I pray that you will help us with these obstacles and these things that might prevent us, Lord, from going upward, that might prevent us from going to you, to rely on you, Lord, to be comforted from you, Lord, because... In essence, when we chase these other things, we reject you in that moment. And maybe not reject you, Lord, but definitely reject your comfort, Lord. And we try to do it ourselves. Help us to come back to you. Holy Spirit, be with us as an ever-present reminder and an ever-present help, Lord, and an ever-present comfort. For we know, Lord, that you are comfort. And so we just pray that you be with us and help us to become a people of prayer and especially aware, Lord, of people who are suffering, that we might reach out to them and that we might pray for them. Lord, that we might experience the fellowship of suffering and we might experience the fellowship of comfort with you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.